Susan Smith hurried up the large doorway of the San Francisco Evening Post. She squeezed a letter tightly in her hand, checking over her shoulder several times as she crossed the street. What she was doing was wrong. She knew it, but it wasn't her place to stir up trouble. She waited nervously by the door for a few moments before a tall, handsome man, Harry Larkins, emerged to greet her. Seeing her discomfort, Harry tried to diffuse attention in his usual charming way, but Susan didn't feel much like chatting. The best she could do was give him a half-hearted smile before handing him the letter and turning to leave. Susan rushed away from the post, so focused on getting back to work that she didn't think to glance behind her. She didn't notice the man watching her from a nearby alley, following her every move. As she disappeared around the corner, the man fell in step behind her. Susan Smith had finally been caught. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we're covering the fraught relationship between frontier photographer Edward Mybridge and his wife, Flora Downs. We'll discuss the near-fatal accident that changed Edward's life forever. We'll also explore how a strained marriage led to an affair between Flora and a prolific con man named Harry Larkins. Next week, we'll detail Edward's violent reaction to his wife's infidelity and the shocking criminal trial that followed. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Edward Mybridge was always a hard worker, though he rarely stuck to one thing for long. He worked in book publishing, started a mining company, and even tried his hand at investment banking. This was, of course, all before he began working as a photographer, a career that would eventually become his true calling. But let's go back to the beginning. In his home country of England, Edward worked as a salesman for a London book publisher. At the age of 20, when he was offered a job at a publishing company in New York in 1850, he eagerly boarded a ship heading west. About a decade later, he owned a prosperous bookshop in San Francisco, California. He had a close circle of high society friends and plenty of money, but still felt like something was missing from his life. He decided he was homesick, and in the summer of 1860, the 30-year-old decided to head back to England to be closer to his widowed mother. It was a grueling journey. First, Edward booked passage on a 25-day stagecoach ride to St. Louis. His plan was to board a train from there to the East Coast and then finally set sail back to home. But three weeks into the trip, on the night of July 22nd, tragedy struck. After resupplying with fresh horses, Edward's stagecoach trundled into a large forest in northern Texas. As it started down a hill, something most likely spooked the animals, and they suddenly broke into a gallop. The brakes malfunctioned, and the driver was unable to stop in time. The stagecoach rolled out of control. Afraid they would crash, Edward stumbled to the back of the cab, ready to leap to safety. Just as he was about to jump, the wheels hit a bump in the road. The coach shook violently, and Edward was thrown to the ground, slamming his head into a large rock or tree. The injury was so severe that he didn't regain consciousness until nine days later. When he awoke in the hospital, Edward had no memory of the crash at all. Making matters worse, he was seeing double, had no sense of taste or smell, and was almost completely deaf. When he was finally able to leave his bed weeks later, he made his way to New York in search of a doctor who could help him. When nobody could, he decided to go back to London for medical care instead. Immediately after his return, Edward's old friends noticed stark changes in his behavior. Before the accident, he was always presentable and polite. Now he was eccentric and irritable. To many, he was barely recognizable. Before I continue with Edward's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. In 2015, a study published in the Journal of Neurosurgery reviewed Edward Mybridge's injury and resulting personality changes. According to the research, evidence suggests that Edward sustained a closed brain injury to his orbitofrontal cortex. This part of the brain is closely related to sensory function and emotions, and of its many functions, the orbital frontal cortex is associated with decision-making and impulse control. 
Edward's loss of sensory acuity, along with his fits of aggression and emotional instability, were likely symptoms of frontal lobe damage. Unfortunately, it would be many years before medicine advanced enough to identify these injuries. At the time, Edward's condition went undiagnosed. Instead, famed neurologist Sir William Withy Gole assumed he simply had a concussion that would heal itself eventually. His only recommendation was that Edward get plenty of exercise and outdoor activity. Edward remained in England for the next six years. He gradually regained his senses in that time, but his personality remained unstable. Searching for a way to stimulate his mind, he started to develop an interest in photography to pass the time. Photography was a new and rapidly evolving art form. Edward loved the freedom it gave him to experiment. He became obsessed with cameras and was soon experimenting with his own unique style of photos. Rather than taking portraits of people, as was the fashion, Edward photographed landscapes, parks, buildings, and anything else found in nature. After several years of obsessive practice, he was more comfortable behind the lens than he was in front of his friends. By 1866, the 36-year-old felt confident enough to make his way back to America on his own. He went back to his old stomping grounds in San Francisco and set up shop as a professional photographer and artist. Though he had only been away a few years, his American friends couldn't help but notice how he'd changed. The last time they'd seen Edward, he'd been a well-dressed social butterfly. Now, his hair was often uncombed, his clothes were simple, and he didn't care for the high society he'd once associated with. Instead, all Edward wanted to do was be alone outdoors, seeking comfort and inspiration in the wild. He avoided the city as much as he could, often taking lengthy trips to capture the beautiful landscapes of the California frontier. But though Edward returned to San Francisco a different man, he was no less successful. He quickly built a reputation as an adventurous wilderness photographer. His gallery became a success, and before he knew it, he was one of the most in-demand photographers in the entire state. He outgrew his small gallery and in April 1869, moved his collection to the biggest art dealers in town. It was here that he would meet 18-year-old photo retoucher, Flora Downs. At first glance, the two were anything but a match. Flora was bubbly, charming, and friendly. But like Edward, she'd also suffered tragedy. She was born in 1851. It was said that her mother died young and her father and stepmother raised her until the age of 12. Then they abruptly decided they couldn't take care of her anymore. With little explanation, they left her in the care of her aunt and uncle who moved to California around 1863. Soon afterward, they followed in the footsteps of Flora's father and left her in the care of another aunt. By age 14, Flora had been abandoned twice by her own relatives. In 1869, after a brief and unsuccessful marriage, Flora was tossed aside for a third time. At 18 years old, she separated from her husband. She was left jobless with few prospects and no education. Flora was heartbroken, but remained determined to find her place in the world. After months of uncertainty, good fortune finally struck 
and she got work as a photo retoucher at the most successful art gallery in San Francisco. She thrived in such an upscale social environment. Though Flora rarely spoke about herself, one newspaper described her as having a sweet face and large, lustrous eyes. She had wavy brown hair and an infectious cheerfulness. Her charms soon won her the attention of Edward Mybridge. Though Edward disliked people in general, he found himself inexplicably drawn to Flora. She was one of the few that could calm his antisocial irritability. He even broke his rule about taking portraits in order to photograph her. Within a year of meeting, the two of them started traveling together to take pictures of the California wilderness. They only grew closer with time. In May 1871, Edward and Flora were married. She was 20 while he was 41. The marriage was a shock to those who had gotten to know Edward after his accident. Since he'd returned to America, he had prided himself on living a simple life and spending much of his time alone. After marrying Flora, however, he turned over a new leaf. He indulged in a more lavish lifestyle and seemed more open to socializing. The two of them bought a home in an affluent neighborhood and looked to be ready to start a family together. But Edward had no intention of settling down entirely. Though he was willing to compromise on some things for his new life, he still yearned to be by himself most of the time. Almost immediately after the wedding, he started traveling for work again on his own. During the first year of their marriage, Flora hardly saw her husband at all. He went on photography expeditions for months at a time, leaving her to while away her hours at work or at home, feeling more alone than ever. The only excitement in her life came from talking with the customers who came into the gallery. One day, probably during one of Edward's many trips away, Flora looked up from her workstation to see the man who would change her life forever. Flora dipped her brush in paint and steadied her hand. She brought it to the surface of the photo and released her breath. The first touch was the hardest. Now, the rest would be easy. She was already on her third retouching of the day, but she wasn't planning on stopping anytime soon. Edward was gone for work, again, so she planned to stay late tonight, rather than go back to an empty home. What did Edward expect her to do? Stare at the walls for hours? He knew she didn't have many friends of her own. She sighed and raised her brush to the photo again. She was so distracted, she barely noticed the tall, sandy-haired man standing in front of her. When she finally looked up and saw his smile, her heart fluttered in a way she couldn't quite describe. The handsome stranger was Harry Larkins, a well-spoken, charismatic schemer with a pleasant Scottish accent. Though he'd only arrived in America months earlier, Harry had already conned a wealthy man named Arthur Neal into lending him a considerable amount of money. With no intention of paying him back, Harry had burned through that money in a matter of weeks. Arthur eventually caught on and had Harry arrested, but it only took a quick conversation for Harry to persuade authorities that he would pay back the money he owed without a problem. He was released and in a matter of days had talked his way into a job as an art and theater critic 
without any prior experience. Harry Larkins knew how to get what he wanted, and when he first laid eyes on Flora Downs, she became his new obsession. After that first meeting, Harry visited Flora often at the art gallery. He even got in Edward's good graces and invited the two of them out to the theater. Oblivious to the fact that Harry and Flora were attracted to each other, Edward went along and spent the night as an unwitting third wheel. When the time came for Edward to start traveling again, Flora and Harry started meeting more often. It didn't take long for their relationship to become romantic. While their relationship was technically a secret, the two of them went out in public together nearly every week and regularly spent evenings at the theater. When Edward finally returned home, he was shocked to learn that Flora and Harry had become so close while he was away. Though he hadn't seen Harry as a threat at first, Edward immediately suspected the worst. He demanded that Flora stop seeing Harry at once. Then he went out to confront the man himself. Edward stormed his way down the cobblestone streets. He wasn't about to be made a fool. He felt an overpowering contempt consume him, all aimed at one man. Edward was going to make sure Harry Larkins showed him some respect. Up next, Edward confronts Harry. Listeners, here's a show you do not want to miss. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales and some don't. In Our Love Story, the new Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Ready to hear more? Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. In 1873, Photographer Edward Mybridge learned that his wife, Flora, had been spending time with another man, Harry Larkins, while he was traveling for work. The 43-year-old was outraged and marched through the streets of San Francisco to give Harry a piece of his mind. Edward arrived at Harry's house red with anger. When Harry answered the door with a cheerful smile, it only infuriated him further. He demanded Harry stay away from his wife and then threatened him, reportedly saying, if you transgress after this morning, I shall hold you to the consequences. 
and I suppose you know what that means in California. Harry was mortified, or at least pretended to be. He apologized for the misunderstanding and convinced Edward there was nothing improper going on between him and Flora. Edward eventually calmed down and returned home, satisfied that Harry would leave his wife alone. But his threats weren't nearly as effective as he'd thought. In fact, after the incident, Harry and 22-year-old Flora grew closer than ever. Whenever Edward went out of town, they met as often as they could. When he was home, they exchanged passionate love letters right under his nose. Then, in the summer of 1873, Flora learned she was pregnant. This was her third pregnancy while married to Edward. However, her first two pregnancies ended in stillborns, and now she was terrified to tell her husband she was pregnant again, as she had no idea whether the baby was his or Harry's. Unfortunately, she had few other options. She couldn't hide the secret for long, and so decided to bite the bullet and deliver the news to Edward. Luckily for her, Edward wasn't suspicious in the slightest. He was overjoyed. Flora breathed a sigh of relief. Her secret was safe for the moment. She knew she wasn't totally out of the woods, but decided she would stay with Harry no matter what happened. She couldn't bear to be without him. It was then that she started looking for an ally to help her and Harry keep their relationship a secret. She soon found one in Susan Smith, a nurse and midwife Edward hired to care for her during her pregnancies. By the summer of 1873, Edward was still traveling a lot, so Susan was tasked with helping Flora in the months leading up to the birth. Susan was a hardworking and loyal employee who always put her boss's needs first. In the coming months, everything that made her an ideal midwife came to haunt her as she was drawn slowly into Flora and Harry's affair. As Flora's pregnancy progressed, she wrote Harry more often than ever. The two lovers even hired a private courier to deliver their messages to one another, who sometimes came multiple times per day. Flora even started footing the bill for Harry's expenses as well. Whenever his clothes needed cleaning, she sent them out with her husband's. Though she was a bit naive by nature, even Susan couldn't help but notice what was going on. According to her, Edward was affectionate and attentive whenever he wasn't traveling. The problem was simply that he was rarely home. The more time he spent away, the more brazen Harry and Flora became. Their relationship was rapidly becoming an open secret. During the final months of Flora's pregnancy, Harry came by the house as many as three times a week. They eventually confided their relationship to Susan and even convinced her to deliver their love letters whenever the courier was busy. Susan felt trapped. She didn't want to be a part of the affair, but felt it wasn't her place to intervene. She stayed silent about the relationship, but Flora couldn't hide everything from Edward. It's unclear when, but at some point he came across a love letter addressed to his wife. Since it wasn't signed, he couldn't be sure who it was from, but naturally worried Harry Larkins had something to do with it. Unsure of what to do and not wanting to accuse his wife unfairly, he kept the letter to himself. 
Then, in late 1873, Edward saw something that stopped him dead in his tracks. One afternoon, Edward made his way down Montgomery Street, careful not to drop the rolls of photo prints under his arm. He had a lot to do and his mind was racing. As he wove through the foot traffic, he couldn't help but glance at the building across the street, the San Francisco Evening Post. Harry Larkins worked there, and ever since their fight months earlier, the mere sight of the office was enough to irritate him. And sure enough, as he looked over, he saw Harry standing outside chatting with someone. When Edward realized he was talking to Susan Smith, he hurriedly ducked into an alley to keep an eye on them. As he watched, his blood began to boil. He didn't know what exactly was happening, but knew they had to be talking about Flora. He'd warned Harry to stay away from his wife, but maybe he hadn't gotten the message. But still, something wasn't right. Edward reminded himself that Susan was a nice woman and a reliable employee. She wouldn't dare go behind his back. He decided to put it out of his mind and ask Susan about it when he returned home that evening. Susan and Flora were talking in Flora's room after dinner when Edward knocked on the door and interrupted them. He seemed on edge and talked much faster than usual. After a moment of awkward small talk, he abruptly asked Susan what she had been doing that afternoon and if she'd happened to see Harry Larkins. Susan was about to admit the truth before seeing the look of terror on Flora's face. As Susan watched, Flora sidled up behind her husband and whacked her finger at Susan out of Edward's sight. Not wanting to cause trouble, Susan lied. She said she had gone to the office about an advertisement and thought she may have seen Mr. Larkins while there. Unsatisfied, Edward took out the unsigned love letter he'd found weeks earlier and demanded to know who it was from. Flora pretended to read through the note and laughed it off, claiming it was a joke from one of her friends. Edward made her swear she was telling the truth. She did, and though he still had his suspicions, he chose to believe her. Edward was concerned about his wife's potential affair, but not enough to stay in town. Even after spotting Susan and Harry Larkins together, he continued leaving the city for work as often as he could. It's possible Edward was fleeing his family out of fear that Flora would leave him soon. When he was alone, he didn't have to think about pleasing anyone else. He could rely only on himself and tend to his own needs. As it had been generally understood, fear of abandonment is a type of anxiety that can manifest in childhood or adulthood, and it can even lead some to neglect family and friends. The symptoms of abandonment issues are explored in an article written by Dr. Janice Webb, a therapist specializing in early childhood neglect. She explains that people with a strong fear of abandonment feel safer keeping other people at a distance and tend to downplay the importance of those closest to them. Edward's penchant for solitude, combined with the instability and impulsiveness he experienced after his head trauma, likely caused him to run away from his problems instead of facing them head on. 
His need to escape his family was so strong that he wasn't even home when 23-year-old Flora gave birth. On April 16, 1874, at around 2 o'clock a.m., Susan Smith heard a carriage approach her home. She opened the door and was greeted by a panicked Harry Larkins. He told her that Flora had gone into labor and was laying back in the carriage. The three of them rushed back to Flora's home and helped her give birth. According to Susan, Harry held Flora in his arms and kissed and caressed her. For the last nine months, Flora had ignored the possibility that her husband might not be the father of her child. When the baby came, she knew she was about to finally learn the truth, and she was terrified. If the baby looked like Harry, it would be almost impossible to convince Edward she'd been true to him. At around 4 o'clock a.m., Flora looked at her baby boy for the first time and was overcome with dread. Her worst fears had come true. The infant had a shock of brilliant sandy hair. He was the spitting image of Harry Larkins. Flora didn't know what to do, but decided playing dumb was her only option. She had to act natural. After the birth, she had Susan send a telegraph to Edward to inform him of the birth. Luckily for her, he returned to San Francisco just long enough to make sure there were no health complications. About a week later, he left town again, hardly even glancing at his baby. Of course, the second he was gone, Harry was back at Flora's side. Harry was a nearly constant presence at the house over the next few weeks, and Susan was soon roped into delivering their letters again. She was completely paralyzed. She felt guilty for hiding the secret from Edward, but couldn't bear to butt in where she didn't belong. The more she kept to herself, the more Flora shared with her, and the more uncomfortable she became. It was only a matter of time until something had to give. At one point, Flora told Susan that Harry was planning on taking her to England to be his wife. She said, "'It is too bad I treat old Mybridge so badly, but I love Harry Larkins.'" Susan was aghast, but still kept her mouth shut. Perhaps she was trying to delude herself into believing that the baby was Edward's and that Flora would ultimately choose to stay with her husband. Perhaps she believed that staying married was the only moral choice and that Flora would eventually make the right decision. But Susan couldn't stay naive forever. Soon, she would have to face the truth. Up next, Flora Mybridge's secret comes out. Now, back to the story. In the spring of 1874, 23-year-old Flora Mybridge gave birth to a son. Her husband, 43-year-old Edward, wasn't the father. Instead, the baby belonged to Flora's lover, Harry Larkins. Only Harry, Flora, and her midwife, Susan Smith, knew about the affair. Up until this point, Susan did not have concrete evidence of who the baby's father really was. However, she would soon find out. One afternoon, while Harry was secretly checking in on the baby, Susan overheard him talking to Flora. Her mouth fell open as Flora casually turned and said, Harry, we will remember the 13th of July, 
we have something to show for it. A chill ran down Susan's spine. July 13th was exactly nine months before the birth. Suddenly, it was undeniable. The baby was Harry's, and Susan had reached her limit. Her final hope was that Edward would discover the truth on his own without her breaking Flora's confidence. Edward had plenty of reasons to be suspicious, but refused to stay in town for any length of time to confirm his fears. Two months after his child was born, before embarking on yet another photography job, he decided to separate Flora from Harry to ensure she stayed faithful. Since Flora had relatives in Oregon, he asked her to take a trip and stay with them while he was away. He promised to pay for all of the expenses, claiming he would feel better knowing she and the baby weren't alone. Flora was mortified by the plan. She wasn't close with her family and had been all but abandoned by them years before. But she knew that refusing Edward would risk revealing the truth. With no other option, Flora agreed to go to Oregon. With an eight-week-old baby on her hip, Flora reluctantly boarded a ship for Portland. She stayed with her aunt and uncle while her husband gallivanted off to Central America. Edward left San Francisco in better spirits than usual. He hoped the distance would finally put an end to whatever was going on between his wife and Harry Larkins. But he'd underestimated how deep their affair had become. Though they were apart, Flora and Harry continued writing to one another, once again using Susan as an intermediary. It seemed to her that their relationship was stronger than ever. In a letter to Susan, Flora said, I'm not ashamed to say I love him better than anyone else upon this earth, and no one can change my mind. By that point, Susan was beyond fed up. She had been used as a messenger and secret keeper for months and was far past her breaking point. It wasn't her job to lie for Flora. She felt betrayed and abused. On top of everything, she was owed money for the last two months and had yet to be paid. When Susan brought the pay issue up to Edward, he acted baffled and suspicious. He had no idea she hadn't been compensated and claimed that he'd given Flora plenty of money to cover her salary. Deciding to take matters into her own hands for once, Susan filed a grievance with the city. The hearing for the case was brief. After Susan gave the judge a letter from Flora which proved her employment, he quickly ruled in her favor. On October 13th, Susan officially won her case against the Mybridge family. The next day, she met with Edward to discuss the outcome. He agreed to pay Susan what she was owed, but still acted confused about how the disagreement had escalated so far. During their talk, he asked Susan about the proof of her employment she'd received from his wife. Susan handed him the letter, and Edward looked it over carefully. What he found was shocking. Though it's unclear in what capacity, Harry Larkin's name was mentioned several times in the note. Edward was furious that Flora referred to Harry so often, considering he shouldn't have had anything to do with Susan's employment. Finally, after months of keeping quiet, Susan cracked. 
She confessed to Edward that Flora had spent several nights away from home after the baby was born. She also claimed that Harry once told her that he wished Edward would go away so that he and Flora could do as they wish. Fuming, Edward asked Susan if she had any more letters to show him. She agreed to show him after her work payment was settled. Edward nodded sharply and left in a fury. Two days later on October 15th, Susan made her way to Edward's attorney's office, letters in hand. She was ready for the truth to finally come out. Edward paced in the hallways outside the office, fists clenched, jaw tight. He felt like he could scream. The few people who entered the hall were smart to avoid his gaze. He should have known better than to trust Harry Larkins would stay away from Flora. Surely he must have tricked her or something. He tried to convince himself Harry was forcing Flora to talk to him. But deep down, he knew it wasn't a trick. Flora enjoyed their time together. Perhaps they really had continued to see each other even after he told them not to. Only Susan's letters would reveal the truth. His mind was reeling. He couldn't take the waiting. He needed answers now. One way or another, Harry and Flora's relationship was going to end. He'd see to that. When Susan finally arrived at the office, she found Edward was already irate. He immediately demanded to see the letters. Susan handed them over and turned to leave. She didn't want to watch his reaction. She would later say, as I closed the door, I heard a scream and fall. Edward had collapsed to the floor in grief. It's possible that the letters caused Edward to suffer from psychological shock. In a 2018 article, Dr. Alice Boys details the signs of the condition, which include a surge of adrenaline, feelings of disconnection from reality, and the inability to think clearly. These symptoms are part of the body's fight or flight response symptom that can lead one to make poor decisions. Edward was already unstable and impulsive from his head injury years earlier. And after reading these letters, he was utterly heartbroken. His humiliation and rage made for a dangerous combination. After taking time to recover from the shock, Edward felt torn. Susan's letters horrified him, but he had a morbid need to know more. He decided the truth was more important than the potential grief. And that afternoon, he went to Susan's home to interrogate her once more. Edward sat Susan down and asked her again about the day he saw her and Harry Larkins outside the newspaper office. This time, Susan told him the truth, that she was delivering a letter to Harry from Flora. When he asked why she lied, she told him it was because Flora had gestured to her to keep quiet. She mimicked the finger wag Flora had done behind his back. Edward was practically incoherent. His breath came short and fast and he shook violently. Stomping around the room, he accused Susan of hiding even more information from him. Susan was terrified by Edward's tantrum. She wanted to tell him the truth, but worried what he might do if he knew everything. 
She kept silent as he started pacing again, ranting and raving to himself. Soon, Edward had worked himself into such a fury that he could barely put two words together. Instead of waiting around for Susan to tell him more, he rushed out the door. Susan was relieved, but knew she hadn't seen the last of Edward Mybridge. Sooner or later, he would come back for answers. It took two more days for Edward to calm himself down enough to talk to her again. Around 11 a.m. on October 17, 1874, Susan heard a knock on her door. Edward stood on her front step in the worst state she had ever seen him. His eyes were red. His face was sunken in. It looked as if he hadn't slept since they last spoke. As they made their way into the sitting room, Edward noticed a picture he hadn't seen the last time he was here, of a baby with sandy blonde hair. He asked Susan who the child was. Confused, Susan told him it was his son. Flora had recently sent the photo to her from Oregon. Perhaps it was because he was away so often or just because he was delirious, but Edward didn't even recognize his own baby. For the first time, he took a long look at the boy in the picture. He studied it closely, turning it around and around in his hands. In the bottom corner, in his wife's handwriting, he spotted the words, Little Harry. Edward turned pale. He trembled head to foot and gasped for breath. Susan would later compare his reaction to a madman. He threw his arms in the air and demanded Susan tell him everything she knew. Fearing for her safety, Susan did as he demanded. She detailed the night of the birth and how Harry had comforted Flora. She listed all the times Flora and Harry locked themselves in her bedroom together. She even told Edward that Harry wanted to take Flora to England to be his wife. By the time the onslaught of secrets was over, Edward was in shambles. This is more than I can bear, he said. He turned to leave, utterly devastated. Back in his empty home, Edward felt like a husk of his former self. His worst fears had been confirmed. His wife was having an affair. His son was not even his own. He cried until he had no tears left. He was heartbroken, but more than that, he was angry. At himself for not seeing what was happening right under his nose, at his wife for betraying him, but mostly at the man who had ruined his life, Harry Larkins. Edward caught his breath and composed himself for a moment. Then he went to get his gun. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back Wednesday with part two of Edward Mybridge and Harry Larkin's story. We'll detail Edward's violent confrontation with Harry as well as the ensuing trial that made him notorious. For more information on Edward Mybridge, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Inventor and the Tycoon by Edward Ball extremely helpful to our research. 
You can find all episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crime to Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Grayson Niles, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.